Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to MMA Daily, the station where we bring you the latest in the world of mixed martial arts. I'm Gabriel. I am here with my amazing co-host. She knows she is always WCW around here, but she is also <laughs> Miss Birthday Girl, Miss Kayla Beatty. Kayla, on the air, happy birthday. How are you, my friend? Hey, G, thanks for the birthday wishes again. I'm good. How are you? Well, I am good. I've spent the last 24 hours trying to figure out which fight do I need to call Sean Shelby and get you for this amazing holiday. What's, <laughs> the, what's on the top of your wish list? I want a healthy Max Holloway. That's my birthday wish. Okay. Can I put him in there with anybody else then? As long as Max is there. I guess as long as Max is there, I don't want to be too greedy. It's your birthday. You can have whatever you want, especially on MMA Daily. All right, then let's get that Max Holloway Brian Ortega fight that we lost. All right. Well, I will make sure to get on the phone right after the show to get that for you. Fans, it is Wednesday, July 11th, 2018, and we are coming off of International Fight Week. Kayla, I mean, look, so last week there was obviously a lot with the Max Holloway just pulling out and a lot of the drama and what's going to happen circulating. But the story, I feel like I've seen it everywhere. You can't click on the news without seeing it. Daniel Cormier, now a two-division UFC world champion. He upsets Stipe Miocic. Kayla, a knockout in the first round. I think even the most optimistic fans of Daniel Cormier did not expect him to be able to pull it off like that. Talk to me about the main event. Yeah, I mean, that's, I think, the most impressive part of it is that he got him in the first round. I think that there's believers in Daniel Cormier, and I was starting to, you know, think that there's a chance uh, the last time we talked on Friday but I don't think that we, I think we were just expecting it to be a more competitive fight. You know, the size uh, difference was clearly there, but Daniel Cormier was able to, you know, just figure him out. I mean, obviously Stipe was connecting, but Daniel said it was just so he could, you know, figure out that timing and, and, you know, feel his strength. And he was able to go ahead and get that win in the first. It was super, super impressive. What was your first initial reaction? Yeah, I mean, when you see the, that knockout happen in the final minute. So personally, I thought Stipe is going to get this one to round two and he's just going to continue. I felt that Stipe was winning the first round and he was doing a lot of what I thought he was going to be able to do. He had the distance. He had he was just connecting more, in my opinion. And I felt like when he kind of got that distance. You kind of saw his shots were having an effect on DC. DC is going to tell you he took a well, which he did, but Stipe was connecting, and I felt that had it continued at that pace, DC was probably going to start to crumble around late in the second, maybe early third. But what shocked me that I didn't expect, DC would take the shot and he'd be able to counter, and when he connected, he also kind of got Stipe to, you know, take a second. His shots were having a very visible effect. Stipe had a lot of, his face was beat up when you see him after the fight. Yeah. That shocked me. I didn't think that he was going to be able to really hurt Stipe with the shots that he was landing, but he did. And I think that's really the key to it. He took the damage well, and he was able to fire back. Then, of course, that final sequence, he gets in the clinch. He talked about he knew Stipe was expecting the uppercut, but he was going to be able to go over when Stipe keep, kept his hands low. He connects, and really, it was just all academic. Stipe crumbles, eats two unanswered shots. The referee goes in there for his own safety. Wow. I just was super impressed. Um, look, uh, I knew DC was good. I didn't think he'd be able to take what he, the shots he did and then fire back in that way. I think that was the most shocking to me. But Kayla, I mean, it wouldn't be a 4th of July without some fireworks. And um, Brock Lesnar, 
in the cage. What did you think about that whole just exchange that they had? Yeah, you know, the the thing that bothers me is I just wish it wouldn't have happened at the time that it did. I get that in the past, this is how the next super fight or a big fight that'll bring in a lot of draw and attention and, you know, just bring more attention to the event, too, of what's next. I get that that's how it happens. You bring uh, the next competitor into the octagon. But to me, I feel like after Daniel Cormier accomplished something like putting away Stipe the way that he did, showing people, hey, this really was a super fight because I fought the best guy at heavyweight, moved up and, and put him away in the first. It just, to me, took away from what he accomplished of being a two-title holder. So my problem more was just with the timing of it. I also understand the argument that people are making that it's not really fair that Brock is getting an immediate title shot. You know, he hasn't won for quite a a long time in the UFC. He also, you know, the last couple fights has had some issues as far as um, fighting fair. So I, I totally understand and kind of agree with that. But I also yesterday was talking with um, some younger MMA fans who, I don't know, we're just in a time, G, that I think people want to see outlandish, crazy stuff, and they're more focused on entertainment instead of the skills. It's not so much what I watch the sport for, but I don't know. It, it, the way that this kid explained it, he's like, me and my friends are only going to tune in to fights that have like, you know, a big personality or have some kind of build up like that. So I'm trying to understand it more. I just think it could have happened at a different time, not right after DC got that one. Cause I just feel like it took away a little bit from, from his accomplishment. Um, I, I want to hold that topic because I think that that is very indicative of where the sport is now. And also it explains exactly why we're having an issue with the numbers uh kayla um you might have gotten a message uh i'm not gonna lie the entire thing i was just distracted by brock lesnar's boots everyone was talking about his boots i need to find a picture of these i I didn't even notice i I just sent it to you i'm like dude really oh my gosh i mean had i you know like i saw them and i'm like i'm sorry brock but you need to you know take a few points away from your toughness if you wear boots oh. like that to the octagon. <laughs> right? That is hilarious. Okay, now I completely see why everyone is talking about his boots. So funny. He's like, yeah. he's like that cat from Shrek. I mean, this is, this is what I'm talking about. I guess he knows he's on another level to where um... sorry, let me send this person to voicemail. Um, uh, let me take on that one. Um, I understand where you're coming from completely. I will say, though, when you know it's Brock Lesnar, let's be honest, Dana White, Daniel Cormier understood that when you have a guy like Brock, you are bringing him in to do what Brock Lesnar does, which is stir the pot, which is be crass, be rude be xyz that hypes up a fight so i will say this were it somebody like curtis blades or alexander volkov i would say you need to sit your butt down you're disrespecting a champion you haven't put in your work yet brock lesnar we are both aware everyone is aware of what brock lesnar is being brought in to do he is a big name he is a big personality like you just said And Daniel Cormier is where you are a big payday. And the reason I'm going to get paid is because you're going to do what I know you're about to do when I call you into the cage to get in your face a bit. So I think in that way, because all parties are aware of what's going to happen when you invite Brock in, I'm okay with it because Daniel Cormier knows he wants to get paid and he knows he's inviting Brock Lesnar to do what Brock Lesnar does. So that's my, I give that a pass. Now, like I said, if it were somebody else, I would feel exactly like you. I get that. But because we kind of know what's going on, I say that. Now, the one thing I have heard talked about, it was scripted, it was planned. 
I have no doubt they were always planning to bring Brock Lesnar in, but I like to say that I think it was more, we're going to bring Brock in, and Brock, just do whatever you want to do. We'll roll with it. In that way, right. I think that it wasn't planned. It wasn't quote unquote scripted, but it was always the plan to bring him in to face off at least with Stipe or DC. So that's how I feel about it. Now, saw that. I think you saw that in Joe Rogan's face too, and just like you know the other people around, it looked like they were. Or maybe they're great actors too, but it just looked like they weren't prepared for him to hit the camera or, or push DC. Yeah, um, I will also say that um, I think they kind of, they jumped the gun. They showed Brock Lesnar before the fight with Stipe and DC. I think had they waited, they would have gotten more dramatic effect. But you kind of anticipated it the second they took the moment to even single him out outside the cage, so... That was something. Do you think they hired a stylist to coordinate those boots because they knew that they'd be trending on Twitter? I swear to God, he's that cat from Shrek when I see the picture. Give him like a little so, cowboy hat, like get, have Donald Cerrone loan, it, loan him his and he's right there. Uh, I'm serious. I was like, man, I don't... Uh, look, when you're... what? Is, how tall is he? Like about 6'6"? Six, six? 270, 280 pounds. I guess you could wear your boots however you want, but I, I saw that and I was like, really? Brock? Really? But look, that's who he is. Um, Kayla, the Brock Lesnar fight cannot happen until January at the earliest. Brock did re-enter the USADA testing pool last week. So uh-huh. we are going to have to wait a bit, which has raised the question... What is DC going to do now? Business-wise, it is it loses all value if DC loses the heavyweight belt. So as much as it should make sense, I just we are not going to see him fight Alexander Volkov or Curtis Blades, period. I don't know what's going to happen with those two, maybe an interim title or something else. But that fight, those fights just aren't going to happen. It's too high-risk, low-reward. If you're the UFC now at light heavyweight, he's beaten everybody pretty much that's out there. He's beaten Gustafsson, who he mentioned possibly if he's impressive against Vulcan Uzdemir next month. Or now he's talking about guys like Mauricio Shogun Hua. Kayla, what do you think about him taking any fight at light heavyweight? I don't think he should do it. I think it sells the fight with Brock more. I think if he only has a few fights left, if, if we're going to be honest about, oh, money, you know, legacy, whatever, why risk any of that? Because um, obviously in the fight game, anything can happen. So I think going into the fight with Brock, if you have those two belts, um, you know, maybe you have one last fight with Jones or whatever the plan is. I just think that why risk it? Do, you know, stick to your analyst jobs and just wait for, for Brock or, or John Jones to come back. What do you think? I completely agree. I don't think he needs it. Once again, it's too high risk, low reward. I mean, it doesn't take any of the, I think, excitement that you'd have on fight night of a fight with Brock. But I think just for the promotion part of it, like you said, it's really just not worth it for him. I don't think he raises his stock by beating a guy like Shogun or fighting Alexander Gustafsson again, which let's be honest, is a very dangerous fight no matter who you are. So really, why risk it? And then um, when I think about it, oh, go ahead. Um, No, I was just going to say, and, you know, no, I lost my thought. Um, I know, I could be very distracting. if If he's already being honest about it being a money fight and, you know, him wanting to take, like, get a, a big paycheck before he chucks out, then no one's going to have much to say, I guess, about him holding the belts, like, you know, holding them hostage for a little bit. We all know that he's just looking for a super fight payday. So he might as well be honest of, yeah, I'm going to sit and wait for that fight instead of, you know, risking losing my light heavyweight title. Well, the way I see it is he he's admitted he's at the end. He's admitted he wants the money. He's done. Look, when I think about the Daniel Cormier deal, he's kind of been screwed. 
He was supposed to have the fight with John Jones two years ago. John Jones fell out mm-hmm. on fight week two days before. He had to fight John Jones last year, lost the title, lowest moment of his career. And what happens? He finds out John Jones been juicing. If I'm Daniel Cormier, I'm kind of over, you know, playing the role. If I know I'm in my last, you know, what is it, six, seven months till March of my career? Yeah. I, I mean, I get it. Now, on the other side of the coin, something's got to happen with these belts, right? You got a lot of guys putting in work also, just like DC has. If I'm uh-huh. Alexander Gustafsson, if Shogun Hua wins next week and I beat Volkan Uzdemir, I do call for a title. Because if DC is admitting he's gone, okay, fair enough. But I'm still trying to do something with my career. Same thing. If I'm a Curtis Blades or Alexander Volkov, I'm calling out the other guy. I'm trying to make this for a belt also. Because if DC is already admitting that he's just in it for a money fight with Brock, there's other contenders who are actually fighting every other month or so who are putting in work. I think you've got to be fair to them also if you're the UFC because DC is leaving. These are the guys who are going to carry the banner as soon as March hits. It's true. Going to be crazy. It's going to be a very interesting few months. Um, obviously, he's got a broken finger, so we're going to have to wait to see what happens. But for right now, we got it. Okay, what do you call it? A double champ, champ, champ. What do you personally call it, Kayla? Um, I usually just say like, uh, well, I don't know. We've only been able to say this one other time. Um. Like, I usually will just say, like, a fighter holding two consecutive titles or two title holder, two belt holder. Are you, I don't know. They'll have to give a catch to your name. I usually do double champ just because it's faster. Because I, I, okay. I feel like I sound too persnickety if I say two division world, two division champion too many times in a row. <sighs> I mean, that's just my personal opinion. Uh, moving on to main card action, um, Paul Felder versus Mike Perry. Kayla, everyone was talking about this fight, just the circumstances. Both of them had opponents pull out. Paul Felder went up in weight, and essentially he was fighting to be ready for next week. They brought him in a week early to fight Mike Perry. They delivered Paul Felder breaking his arm in the first round, but he keeps throwing it the whole fight just Awesome, good fun. What did you think of this one? Yeah, I think it was just a fight where both men won. You know, like, I think that though Perry seemed to be a little disappointed that he, you know, won by decision, I think that we saw him, uh, like, his game has changed a lot. I think that his conditioning looked so much better. I think that he was showing, you know, a well-rounded skill set obviously toughness um obviously great fight iq no seeing that paul felder was going to stand and continue trading with him injured and so he ended up using his wrestling to you know outpoint and 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 get the win and then yeah of course paul felder i think that that's unfortunately he needed a fight where he broke his arm and battled through hardcore like that getting all bloody for people to really see that this guy is not only a smart fighter but you know he's down to brawl and i just thought it was so cool to see that though he was throwing that arm I think that he was also just fighting very smartly too of finding other ways to try and break down Perry whether it was those kicks um you know just just trying to survive and 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 get the win until the final moment of the bell so it was it was a great fight I was really impressed I think that that was probably one of the more fun fights of the night I hate to say that because my friends that don't watch MMA and they were like, Oh, what was your favorite fight? Of course I pull up the one where the guys are like the most bloody, but um, it was, it was a great fight because of those reasons of the heart, the grit and the, the fight IQ. Yeah. I think that, um, look, if, if you're wondering what's, why are so many of these people talking about Paul Felder? Cause look at what happened. He had his opponent pull out. He moved up in weight to fight a guy who had a full training camp. Mike Perry was training to fight Yancey Medeiros in what would have been a barn burner. And he has that kind of performance, still gutsy for three rounds. Um, That was just good fun. I think that you really saw a different Mike Perry. And I think the Jackson Wink effect of training over there has really helped him. 
and it's, he's just going to yeah. grow. I think it's really going to be telling how does he do with somebody who respectfully is a more natural welterweight. Paul Felder was is typically a lightweight. I think his frame, he just has more power. I think he just does more damage at lightweight. Mike Perry, I think, great fight, but also he was just a little too big. I think that if it, you take away that advantage, it's probably a lot closer fight than it already was for Paul Felder. So I think that's something to take into account, but a lot of fun. I agree with you. Just they really brought it. They really went for that bonus. I'm disappointed they didn't get one. I mean, I know. they're lucky there were so many finishes because that would have been fight of the night. You know, most of these cards we've had lately. Yeah, for sure. I mean, they got the respect of their peers and hopefully, you know, feel good about their fights themselves. But yeah, it was it was different that they just gave out a bunch of performances of the nights. You can't buy dinner with respect, Kayla. <laughs> Are you sure? I think you can. I think people will still get free meals after someone watched that fight and is like, "Damn, it's on the house." Yeah, I mean, I think they <laughs> right about now. I think Francis Ngannou has to pay extra. Did yeah? <laughs> Did you see the Mike Perry tweet though? He said that he went to the Lazy River, I think, at the Palms, and they said, "Sir, you can't wear those shorts because I think he didn't have like proper swim trunks on," <laughs> and he t- told. Come on, I just fought my ass off last night. The only thing I want to do right now is just jump in this lazy river and chill. And he even said, like, I can't get any respect after that fight. You see, he had extra money to pay the guy. Maybe they would have let him go. (laughs) You see? It's business. Now, um, moving on, a fun lightweight clash, Anthony Pettis versus Michael Chiesa. Kayla, I was thinking about our show i was thinking about you and what you said to me about this fight on friday i really have to agree with you just anthony pettis i think he felt a little disrespected in there he clearly wanted to turn things around and he really just had a he had a mark i don't even i don't want to call it a breakout fight but he really had a showcase for himself in this one talk to me about it yeah, I think it was just so nice for everyone to see that we still have a nice run of Anthony Pettis ahead of us. I think that, you know, whether it needed, it was, you know, what he was saying of just having other people get out of his head of focusing on the wrestling, focusing on the takedowns. He knows what he can do. He was throwing flashy striking, um, you know, and putting on the pressure like an old school Anthony Pettis. And, and admitting the guy that, you know, a lot of people were impressed with, with his ground game. I think um, the only thing that is, because I, one, I don't want to take anything away from Anthony Pettis. I think he looked awesome out there. I'm so excited that he has, you know, this resurgent fight and people believing in him again. Um, but I think that now hearing from Michael Chiesa too, and talking about the weight cut and all that, it's just so frustrating to me because I feel like I don't want any of Michael Chiesa's complaining about weight cut and all of that to take away from, you know, an awesome performance that Anthony Pettis gave us. I think that a lot of these fighters that can't figure out what weight class they need to fight at, they can't use that as an excuse. So I definitely want to discuss that, too. I don't know if you saw, you know, just what um, Michael Chiesa was saying after the fight. Yeah, um, we could talk about it. To break the fight down real quick for me, I think what impressed me was that even after losing the first round, um, Anthony Pettis didn't seem at all discouraged. I think that was key because I feel like Chiesa did a lot of what he was trying to do. And even though Anthony was stifling him, that was just a very clear cut Michael Chiesa round. Chiesa got the takedown, got on top, avoided the flashy kicks of Anthony Pettis. Um kind of was John at him a little bit. I think that, uh, I'll say it, it turned me off a little bit because you know he missed weight and then he's doing his little dance with Bruce Buffer and he's really trying to goad Anthony Pettis. Now, maybe he was saying like, look, just be confident, go out there and put on a show to be somebody. I think it backfired when you consider the circumstances, but Uh I would be lying if I said that didn't crossed my mind as I was watching the fight now um yeah the second round beautiful start for Anthony just stays calm secures the triangle arm bar very nice and yeah look 
Michael Chiesa is a guy that if you're trying to push for these things, I think you also have to be respectful. Um, look, he's upfront about it. He had a bad weight cut. I will say this. If you want to now rebuild that kind of, I guess, good faith and positive just um, support from fans, you got to stand by it and not fight at lightweight anymore. Because if you were to go back to 155 and you make weight on the next one, then I'd agree with you. You are kind of taken away from Anthony Pettishine by making all the comments that you are. So I think that's something to keep an eye on. But what else did you want to add to that? Yeah, well, I mean, I think on top of all of that, you know, I think it was John Anik that tweeted, but a lot of people were saying Michael Kesa, you know, stating that he thought he was going to die during this weight cut. I mean, this is the issue with the with the whole sport of why are these athletes pushing their limits to where they're talking about death or going blind? I mean, someone's really going to get hurt. And I think that, I don't know, for someone that was just talking a lot of talk about losing title shots and, and you know, um, Conor McGregor doing what's right in the sport, I just feel like you fighting at a weight that if you are dangerously cutting weight that bad to where you think you're going to die, then it's your responsibility now to reevaluate because you can't put that on the company on the other fighters and all of that, of that's why you lost or um, like he has options of fighting at a, at a higher weight class. And I think that he just kind of needs to do some self-reflection, but to say a statement of, Oh, I thought I was going to die during the weight. Cause it was that bad. That's why I lost. I feel like that's you trying to take away from Anthony Pettis just outclassing you. Yeah, I think it's it's such a slippery slope. Um, for one, if he did have a bad, bad weight cut, well, for his own safety, I do want Michael Chiesa at 170. You know, I'm not saying he should force himself down just to prove something to me. But I agree. It's just such a tough thing. And it's one of those things you've got. Look, just like every fighter is different, every fighter also can cut weight differently some guys they can really get down their weight and rehydrate feel great others they really struggle with it and you have a lot of high profile guys like michael chandler who will tell you if i'm not meticulous about it i'm not making 155 or what have you and this is something that a lot of guys have to really think about and i get it you know the money isn't there like in other sports to have your own nutritionist year round. So maybe it's difficult in that way for a lot of the mid-level guys, but you really got to talk about that part of the game. If you're going to continue to insist on fighter safety. So I think it's something to keep an eye on for sure, especially as it gets more attention. Kayla. So can I tell you a story before we talk about the next fight? Sure. All right. So I'm, I did not get to watch live, unfortunately. I had, a, I had to work, and people who know, I have a job where I am in control of several televisions. So I set up, um, pretty much I work in a place where there's luxury suites and they have TVs on. And being the, you know, just great fight fan that I am, every time there's a fight night and I'm in control, I always put all of the TVs in the rooms I'm in charge of to UFC or Bellator or what have you. And Kayla, I'm not going to lie. I got this room of 20 people who had no plans of watching MMA, and I got them hooked. They were on the edge of their seats watching the next fight, Uriah Hall versus Paulo Costa. Nice. They had no idea who either of these men were, but let me tell you something. When it was done, they were asking me about buying the pay-per-view. And oh, so wow. Awesome. I love so, the story. So I felt very accomplished. Now, unfortunately, due to a lot of different stuff, they weren't able to order it. And, you know, I had to deal with that backlash. But I got the first part of the job done. So I was very proud of myself. And I kind of get why this fight. A lot of people were talking about it. A lot of people tuned in. I want to say that it was the highest watched. The, the numbers peaked watching this fight. And for good reason. Paulo Costa just, wow, this dude can, he's just so powerful. Talk to me about the fight. Yeah, I definitely see why everyone's hyping up on Paulo Costa, but I also want to mention that Uriah Hall took two really hard shots to the groin, and I don't know, yep. I'm not a dude, 
so I don't know how that feels, but it sucks. Let me tell you that right now. <laughs> it's hard for me to be like, whoa, this guy was amazing when those two shots were probably one of the, or at least the first one was one of the more nastier shots I think I've seen in MMA. So I don't know. I, I think I need to see him fight once more without having, you know, almost having a point taken away because of his nut shots that then maybe I'll be just as hyped as everybody else. But besides that, yeah, I think that he was someone that the power was there attacking the body. I love that Dana White said this in the post-fight press conference that he was more impressed too, because we saw a really good Uriah Hall in there, that Uriah Hall that we all wanted to see for a while and to be able to finish him the way that you did was super impressive. Um, gee, what, what were you most impressed with? There was was one moment in the fight where Uriah Hall sets up a nice spinning back kick that just goes right to the midsection of Paolo. Uh And Paolo just smiles at him and keeps walking him down like, really? That's that's it? And that to me was like, god damn. Because we've seen Uriah Hall, when he can get that kind of, you know, velocity on a turn and connect, and it just kind of bounces off a middleweight like Paolo... Yeah, that that's going to take the confidence away. I don't care who you are in that cage. So that one stood out to me. Uh, the shots. I, I see what you're saying. He's never had that problem before. So I didn't want to. I, I get where you're coming from, but I still feel like it's not going to be the biggest factor moving forward. But I do see what you mean. Yeah, but, no, look, I don't think. I just think that to get a performance of the night and all these people talking him up like they are, I'm like, wait a second, Uriah Hall had to fight through two pretty heavy, heavy hits there. So let's not, you know, I I guess I just don't, when I see a clean, fair fight all the way through, then I think that there should be some crazy hype behind it. But when you've had to, like when you've made a couple mistakes of a couple eye pokes or some groin shots, I don't know, I need to be a believer in someone who has just a steady one to three rounds of clean shots. I get you. Um, Moving forward for Paolo, though, the thing that I obviously want to see, and we see it out of guys like Yoel Romero, a bunch of these other just huge, thick muscle dudes. Um, Real quick, um, and this isn't just opinion, do you think that on fight night, he's like bigger, he's just heavier than a guy like Yoel Romero at middleweight? Um, do I think that he just shows up bigger? Is that what yeah, asking? like, uh, I'm trying to think if Yoel Romero is even bigger than Paolo at 185. Um, I mean, now you want, you have me wanting to check and look at fight video. Bigger than Yoel Romero. I don't know about bigger than Yoel Romero, but he definitely does seem like he's a big middleweight for sure. Like, I look at him and it's like... Uh... I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if he just carries a little more mass into the cage. And this just goes to my point. These guys, yes, he hits you like a truck in, for the first five minutes. He fought a very good pace that I think conserved his energy. But mm-hmm. you're going to have guys who can slip his punches better than Uriah Hall. You're going to have guys who can take his hits better than him and the competition he's faced. Is his cardio, with all that muscle he carries, going to become a factor as he gets to bigger fights? As he maybe fights maybe a five-rounder on a card, for example, or other just big events? That's what really stands out to me. Like, yes, he's looked good. He hasn't had a guy really able to push his gas tank. And I think that's the real X factor because we've seen plenty of these Thick muscle dudes just gas out when they're up against this high-level guy. Um, yeah, there's but, that can do it. So who would you match him up against then to test that? Well, he mentioned Chris Weidman, which I think is a very good fight. But the one that a lot of people are buzzing about is our next fight fighter, actually. Um, Brad Tavares versus the winner, Israel Adesanya. So before we talk about Paolo and Israel possibly... What did you think of this fight? This fight, yeah. I mean, it was a it was a nice main event. I think that this was a nice display of, you know, the striking skills and just growth of Israel. I think he looked really good in this fight. 
Um, I, I personally wish Tavares would have went for more takedowns. I just, I guess more frequent takedowns and earlier on in the fight, I know that he tried to shoot in and obviously Israel had that defense, but I feel like, I don't know. He should have been a little bit more gritty with that. I know that, um, I mean, yeah, I think just Israel's striking is on another level. And I think he was able just to outwork and outclass Tavares. What stood out to me was that Israel, look, you were clearly treated to a great display. He's fast. He's got great creativity out there. What I think stood out to me was that every time Tavares would come in to close the distance, it would be a different counter from Israel. Mm -hmm. Sometimes it would be the right hand, the left, the kick, the knee, maybe try to set up an elbow. He never went for the same counter twice when Tavares was coming in. And I think that was the key. That's why Tavares didn't go for as much wrestling, in my opinion, was because he was getting tagged a lot every time he came in. And quite frankly, I think he didn't know what was going to be coming from out of, from Israel. That's what led to him being a more conservative fighter. Because when you see what he was trying to do, I, I got to imagine the game plan was just to really pressure him, come forward behind the jab and just try to swarm him, not give him that space. Israel was so accurate with these counters. He found his mark so often that I think it really just took all the wind out of Brad's sails. And um, look, I don't even take anything away from him that he couldn't finish Brad Tavares. I think that he had a great showcase. It's really just more, I think that was the toughness of Tavares rather than any kind of um, tactical errors or just yeah. lack of aggression from Adesanya. And now, Israel, I like what he's doing. He calls out the winner, which was Paulo Costa. I will say this. I love this fight. I think, though, we can wait for it. Be and let me tell you why. Because if Paulo fights another guy and wins, Israel fights another guy and wins, right now, by themselves, they're a good main card fight, maybe a co-main event somewhere. They get one more. They're a main event on a big card, in my opinion. What about you? Yeah, I agree with that. I think that the you can see that the company and fans just are really behind them. And and I think that because they both have that star power quality, um, like you said, why not wait and kind of draw that out a little bit to to get on a bigger card and, and either co-main head, uh, headline. I agree with that. Also, and I, I hate to bring this up, but it is true. UFC doesn't like to burn two up-and-comers a lot of the time. You'll notice that a lot of when you have two prospects, it's very rare that they kind of meet each other before a title shot. So I think that it's going to be about which one kind of gets there first. And then they have to face the other soon afterward rather than fight each other while they're still moving up the ladder. So that's another thing that I think might keep them from making it. But I want to see it. Look, both of those guys would bring it. I think it would be a fun one for however long it lasts. But yeah, Kayla, I mean, look, another international fight week in the books. Just there was two fight cards. There was a lot. There was even pro fight league last week. There was a lot of MMA, a lot going on. I mean, what just stands out to you? Yeah, I mean, I think UFC 226 to me was very successful. There's some great fights, history made. Um, it was just, it was busy for sure. And then, you know, had the drama of International Fight Week that unfortunately has been a little bit of a trend. But um, at least we got an answer of what's going on with Max Holloway. Uh, with the water poisoning, but overall, I think that there were some nice performances displayed. Yeah, I didn't see PFL, but I read up on it, and that fight night seemed crazy. I think that that's a great format, too, so um, yeah, it was a successful week. What do you think? I mean, I thought it was a lot of fun. I think that um, when you lose a fight like um, Max and Brian, it was obviously a big hit, I'm going to mention it right now. Francis Ngannou and Derek Lewis was a lot of false advertising. I was very disappointed. I know Francis admitted that he was struggling mentally in the cage after his last fight. 
I think that he kind of had to say that. Otherwise, he was just going to keep kind of being put into the fire by the fan base that really feels disappointed by him more than Derek. Derek had more sense of urgency. Um, and even though we knew he was hurt, he was still doing more than Francis. So even when you have those two hits to this card, I still feel like it was such an impressive event. And Kayla, here's what I'm hearing is that the numbers didn't crack a million. They, I think, max out a little under 700,000, which is identical to UFC 225 that we talked about had lower numbers last month. I mean, talk to me, because you kind of brought this up a little bit about fan, the fans tuning in. They need this big personality and star. I mean, are we really just stuck in that rut, do you think, that if it's not this huge megastar that we're just not, not going to be able to crack that number no matter how good the fights are on paper? Yeah, I think that the you know, the problem is is everyone needs to stop comparing numbers to when Connor is on a card. You only get a star in a sport like that, you know, here and there. And, and I'm sure if you look at basketball, football, when a certain uh, you know player is or athlete is out there, of course the numbers are going to do better because that's just that that star you know that you see you know once a decade or something. But I think that that's the problem is we need to stop comparing numbers, um, or fight nights or press conferences to ones of the that had the notorious in there. He's just one of a kind and. I don't know. I mean, I, I met someone yesterday that just said that the only reason why they started watching MMA is because of him. So um, stop. I think we need to stop comparing those numbers and then just kind of wait and see if, you know, there, there are other people. I think if that Max and Brian fight would have stayed on, you know, the numbers would have done better. So I think that there are personalities that are growing. I just don't know if they're going to be on the level of a Conor McGregor. I think that when you have a guy like Conor, um, you're supposed to do, uh, I'll say it, stupid numbers in terms of how high it is. But there are other ones too. Um, the John Jones-Cormier rematch last year didn't break a million. That card was loaded. The Madison Square Garden card, GSP Bisping, that card was loaded. Still didn't break a million. And quite bluntly, this is something they used to be able to do more frequently and yes i know we've lost gsp we've lost your rondas your john jones and other stuff but they used to these are cards that used to break a million quite bluntly and i think that the reason they're not is a bit of fatigue and also people kind of feel like if they're gonna sh shell out the mo their money they're gonna open their wallet they feel like it has to be this big everybody's watching thing and I don't know if UFC, just because of their own success, can get you to believe it's that level of event each time. And I think maybe that's why we're seeing those numbers. I agree with you. Max and Brian should have made put this one over the top. I think, though, it's just maybe that's where the fan base is at and the new fans that have only ever known Ronda, Connor, maybe a bit of John Jones. Maybe they feel like... That $50 price tag isn't worth it for a Robert Whitaker or a Max Holloway yet all the time. So I think that's just something just how when you now have these stars, can it grow? Can they get there again? I think that's the question. And I think that these new partnerships that Bellator and the UFC, you know, have created, I think that 2019 is going to be interesting to see if that makes a difference, too. It oh, should. yeah. Uh, I agree with you. you got to imagine just the brand name would boost those numbers. You get more of a mainstream just exposure. So, yeah, but definitely, I mean, early numbers, I'll say it. I remember when these fights used to crack those numbers. Like DC, Stipe, when you look at who, where both of them are at, it, it used to be bigger, I will say that. Moving on to MMA news, Kayla. So we skipped this one last week because there was so much to talk with UFC, but Bellator signs a new deal with The Zone, spelled D-A-Z-N. I'm I'm, I have yet to hear an official person 
say it really, so I want to make sure I got it right. But Bellator announced that they're going to be streaming fights on this service. Right now, it has not, it's not in the USA yet, but it is in countries like Canada, Germany, Japan. And they will be coming to the United States in September. Obviously, of course, at the same time as Bellator 206, Gegard Mousasi versus Rory McDonald. Now, 15 events, just kind of similar to like Fight Pass and other stuff, will be aired on both Paramount Network and the app. But seven events will be aired exclusively just on zone, not on television. Kayla, here's what worried me. The price has not been announced, but the LA Times says that it could be between $10 to $15 per month for the price tag. Remember, you're not just getting Bellator, you're getting everything else. Um, I think they have soccer and other sports on there on this app, which Kayla brings the question real quick. $50 a year next year for ESPN Plus, 95 for Fight Pass, and now possibly $180 for zone. Could this just be too much for Bellator to ask fans, considering they're now going to be paying more than ever for MMA in 2019? I don't think so. I think, if anything, UFC is asking too much to have two you know, streaming platforms. I think that Bellator has now really stacked up their roster with exciting young talent, bringing in those free agents. They're giving people the matches that they want to see. They're putting out tournaments. They're, they're listening and, and seeing what the fans want. And they finally have picked up a deal where, I mean, outside of the U.S., people are already streaming service like this they have you know a couple of champions or contenders representing the canadian um you know country so i I don't think that bellator i think just where they're at right now with the company and the the ideas that they have planned i don't think that they're asking too much i think that mma overall is asking too much for us to pay i like that answer i agree with it wholeheartedly (laughs) i kayla for president with that one um to me, uh, look, I, you and I ingest this stuff every day in terms of MMA content. We know how good Gegard is, Rory McDonald, Alima McFarlane, AJ McKee. We know this, Kayla. We know this very well. Fans who already have a lot of content they could watch. And maybe, yes, brand acknowledgement with UFC. I I worry just people don't care enough about Bellator to pay extra. I think that's what it really comes down to at the end of the day. Is because you trust UFC for all the reasons a lot of people do, that maybe you just, you know what, I'm already buying one. I can live with only getting the 15 events of Bellator I get on TV. I'm not going to pay for all this other stuff that I don't watch. I worry that that could be part of it. And I, like you said, you know, you don't know how big the app is in other countries. It could be that Bellator's numbers internationally are just going to skyrocket being on the zone. But I can say at least for us in the U.S., who a lot of people are probably going to start ESPN Plus. It's hard for me to see the casual fans when we're already struggling with pay-per-view numbers to do this 10, 15 a month possibly for the DAZN app. Now, I will I brought, I wrote this down. A lot of people do are cutting cable. You get all your TV entertainment through Netflix or Hulu what have you. If you're already paying less Maybe that extra 10 to 15 for sports feels more feasible. But if you already have cable TV and you're buying the app, then it gets a little harder. But I will acknowledge that maybe as we're moving more to digital, that's why UFC is doing ESPN Plus. There could be a bit of a difference there that maybe their numbers are saying they could do well. Did you see, I just saw a tweet that says Rome's commission chief wants to bring Bellator to the Coliseum. 
I saw that. Are you Are you going to buy the zone and and watch that fight? That would make me buy the zone. You know what I think we should do? I think we should but one of us should buy the we should we'll both download the app but we split the cost every month. I mean, we could do that, but I feel like we shouldn't talk about our schemes on air. Hey, can you prove that I did that? <laughs> what, yeah, uh, excuse me. Uh, I use Kayla's phone all the time. What are you talking about? <laughs> excuse me? Kayla knows all my passwords. She uses, you know, she knows my HBO Go. She uses my Netflix. You can't prove it. <laughs> no, but I hear you. But look, I mean, you're going to have people get creative. So it's going to be about wait and see. Now, I, I don't know. The Coliseum one, who are they? Who do you have headlined the Coliseum fight, though? Um, oh my gosh. I don't know. We'd have, let's talk about that on next show. Put together the ultimate gladiator fight. Oh, that needs to be on the poster right there already. <laughs> um, moving on then, MMA news, Ronda Rousey inducted into the UFC Hall of Fame. Kayla, we mentioned it. First woman honored, definitely well-deserved, but her speech, what did you think about it? Um, I mean, from what I was saw, it was short and sweet. I think that it was nice for her to, um, you know, just recognize that the fans have really been a big part of why she's there, that she hopes it's uh, she's the first of many women. Um, yeah, I mean, I don't know. I, I don't know if we can expect to really get this heartfelt, um, in-depth speech from Rhonda, but... She seemed very grateful and happy. Um, I don't know. What did you think about it? I think that I was talking to someone about it, and I said that I feel like Rhonda was trying to give you the same feeling you got when you watched her fight through a speech. And what I mean was I feel like she was trying to get you to think about her run, where, yes, she had a lot of great moments in there, I love, I, I do love her line, and I, I love that she stood by it. She did redefine what it means to fight like a girl because everyone was watching it, and I feel like I remember distinctly the girl power effect, like just when Ronda fought, and I feel like she was trying to get that moment one more time. Mm. I was... A, little disappointed because I felt like this is the time to say guys I still love you in the MMA world I can't tell you I got that feeling from Rhonda did you (laughs) gee you're always knocking on on her lack of emotion shown in the public eye um I I don't know I think that from what I've seen of her just not being that person that shows a lot of emotion. I think I saw it. It wasn't even so much of when she was talking. It's just that when she was looking out at the fans, I think we saw a moment of genuine, um, you know, appreciation for the fans. I think I saw that. I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. If that was genuine, I don't know. Like, I'm genuine when I say we both pay for every app. We don't cheat the system. (laughs) I don't know if Rhonda were to look me in the eye and say, of course I love MMA. I don't know if that's genuine. No, um, I feel like this is the, like, you're being honored. Like, we are literally throwing this celebration because we love you. Okay, but so what, who, who's had, sorry to interrupt you, but who before her has had a speech that seemed that that gave you what you're looking for when when someone accepts an award like this Matt Sarah okay, I'm gonna... <laughs> do you want me to keep cry. going <laughs> you know what I didn't want her to cry but I wanted to say like you know what guys thank you not to even thank you so much but you know what? I still love every. I, I I still love being here. Like I don't want to fight, but I still love the party. 
I mean, I think that you're that person where when grandma is like old and still doing the same old stuff and you're getting frustrated trying to change her at 90 years old, it's just not going to (laughs) happen. Accept it. I mean, what makes you think I'm not like that? Not just kidding. Um, I'll I'll use one final analogy. And look, I will give you credit. Rhonda is a different person in terms of um, interviews and speeches and all that. I felt like she was the popular girl at an unpopular high school who only accepted the award for prom queen because, you know, she kind of had to. Okay. I I don't know. I just think that um, she is who she is, and it would be weird for me to see her be, like, different and accepting an award like that. I like the... The speech she had prepared, whether it was speaking from the heart or it was prepared, I think that she hit the moments that I wanted to hear from her. She thanked fans and recognized that it was, you know, an accomplishment for women in sports. It was. And I I, I will say this. If anything, I am very glad that she thanked all the fans because she was right. They cared about her, win or lose. And that's really what led to the explosion of women's MMA and just, I feel like female athletes in general, I feel like I see women in other sports talking about the UFC girls and how it's awesome that they have that platform. Rhonda did hit that one on the mark. So I'm not going to say it was all bad. Moving on. um, Kayla, we have the interview segment and um, yeah, introduce this one. Because I could really get going on this one, too. Yes. So you had an exclusive interview with a Bellator fighter that fights this weekend. His name is Michael McDonald. And he was a former WEC and UFC fighter, I believe. That's what I. Yep. Um, Yeah, G, I thought this was a really great interview. You got him to just talk a lot and and hit, hit a lot of points and. Not everyone always, you know, gets that candid and and in-depth with their home life. But I think that um, Marks that really hit me is someone who, you know, is really grateful for and and a believer in his faith. and, and, And that's what's motivating him to continue fighting. I think he had a pretty crazy story reading that doctors had told him that, you know, after a brain aneurysm that he would never be able to fight again. And then, um, you know, checking in with another doctor, someone said, no, we've made a mistake. You actually can fight. I do kind of worry. I feel like his odds are one doctor to three that maybe he should get a second opinion, but that's just me maybe being paranoid. Um, But either way, this man has something that's really driving him to fight. I love that he is a craft craftsman's. What is it? Uh, Just a wood. Just a custom woodworker. Custom woodworker. I think that's super cool that he has that side business and I respect that he, you know, focuses on that and his family when he's home. He just sounds like um, a very unique guy that's that's a fighter at heart. You know, with this one, and um, I'll be honest, when I was talking to him, there, there's very few interviews. I probably sat for about the longest I've ever had with an interview trying to get it right in terms of telling his story because he essentially, I I looked it up. He has never told anybody about the brain aneurysm diagnosis. He never told anybody that. He has been vocal with uh, ESPN about the money and that he couldn't afford training camp in 2017. But he never really talked about that. And I think what stood out to me was because he kind of gave me the impression that he's not really a big fan of MMA, which raised the question, well, why do you do it if it causes you stress? And he talked to me about how, you know, he, they, him and his wife got rid of television and he doesn't look on, he doesn't use social media. He has a manager and agent do his social media for him and he doesn't go to fights and he doesn't do xyz that you would think someone who fights would even just as a fan and observer their own sport he doesn't do any of that and so i kind of felt 
a little uncomfortable because it's like, I almost think you don't want me to talk to you about a fight if you feel so stressed out talking about, you know, you don't want to be a part of this. But he did tell me, you know, why does he do it? And he talked, his faith is, he wears it on his sleeve. And he talked about to me about just being able to spread the word and God's message and why is it important to him and why does he continue to do it on a professional level to just kind of give use the platform to spread that message. And I respected that. And also just as an athlete, he is a young guy who just loves the test in himself that MMA gives him. And I think that's a big one. I think that that just really encapsulated, well, he dislikes this other part of his job, but he's so passionate about it here. So it was really riveting. And I kind of walked away from it feeling very differently because you and I talked to plenty of young fighters, you know, uh, early 20s, mid 20s. This is a guy who was killing it early on in UFC. He was the youngest fighter ever in the UFC at 20 years old. Youngest title challenger at 23. Uh And so to hear his perspective now, really, um, I've looked at his interviews. He doesn't talk that openly in any of them. So the fact that he shared it with me, I was very floored. And I wanted this interview to have its moment, too. Well, good job, G. You're doing your job well and breaking exclusive news. And you could tell, you could tell even the way that you wrote it, that there's there was a unique story here and that this guy is different than other fighters that you hear from but i think that that's what's cool about the sport everyone's fighting for a different reason yeah and of course he will be fighting you know later this week bellator 202 on friday um julia bud facing talita noguera in the main event so we'll probably be doing some bellator recap next week on top of of course the next ufc which is ufc boise Kayla, this main event is quite interesting. You have Junior Dos Santos, former heavyweight champion, taking on, um, I'm sorry, I just, uh, I was reading and I lost it. Blagoy Ivanov, Bulgarian heavyweight, former WSOF champion, came to the UFC as a free agent rather than sign with the PFL. Kayla, this fight, I mean, I know that Junior is the big name, but what do you think about this one stylistically? So, I'm sorry, can you repeat how to you how to pronounce the other guy's name? Oh, Blagoy Ivanov. Blagoy Ivanov. Yeah, I think what intrigues me is there's a lot of hype behind this guy. Um, he's been training with the likes of DC, who just looked great. Um, and, and yeah, I just think that this is, you know, one of those fights that one would be a nice one uh, for Gino Dos Santos to come back on and, and capitalize and pick up a win um, using that experience um, to get a win on this young top contender. But obviously to have this guy make his debut and get a win on JDS is huge too. Um, gee, why don't you break down stylistically and then let me see if, I mean, I only read up a little bit on this fight, but um, I wasn't able to catch any of Blagoy's previous fights. Did you watch any? Uh, I did. I was up last night and I um, got through a few. Uh, the one guy he kind of reminds me of is Mark Hunt. He's mm. look, he's not a very technical guy. He kind of a lot of his wins and they were very fun fights. I do got to give him credit. I know that people are kind of underestimating him. I, I You see the picture of him and JDS together and he looks almost frightened compared to you know jds ripped in the picture but he is a very tough guy he kind of wins by eating shots and being able to come forward and do damage Mm -hmm. um like i said the mark hunt comparison is the biggest one i could give you he's not nimble he kind of just very flat-footed and he really just comes from these big looping punches that really do damage for a heavyweight and i think that's why there is some hype behind him uh i want to say he's on like a five fight ish win streak going into this uh his last fights for pfl and wsof were very exciting against sean jordan and um kyle pelinkar i want to say it is so he's got a lot of hype but i think with junior dos santos 
the speed and the technique. He knows how to fight these guys. He knows how to get in and out. And I think that's really going to be the key in a fight like this, especially for his return. Yeah, that was pretty much what I had read up on the on this fight too, and and um, the background of of Blagoy's just that forward pressure. But I guess what has me intrigued is if he's training, you know, with the likes of, of DC and Kane Velasquez, maybe they have given him some pointers to kind of, um, you know, just add to his skill set, or, or I guess not be as dangerous in there with someone in the high level competition like JDS. So I'm definitely intrigued. I think it's going to be a good main event. I'm going to go with Junior Dos Santos. I think just um, high-level experience. And I think when I looked at the two of them, um, just uh, more tools in the toolbox, plain and simple. I think that that's just going to be the difference. I think that as Blagoy has trouble reaching JDS, that the speed and the technique is going to just start to really show itself in the fight. Um I don't know about a finish because Blagoy did eat some big shots that I saw and kept coming. So who knows? We might have a heavyweight barn burner. But if you haven't seen Blagoy, you have a lot of reason you should know that it is a very exciting fight, possibly. All right. So you're going with JDS by decision? Uh, yeah, right now I am. I think I'm feeling that, too. Even though I haven't seen Blagoy's fights, I think that that was one of the things that people were really talking him up is just the way that he can take a hit. So I think I see, yeah, I see decision as well. Maybe too, because JDS has been a little inconsistent and had that time off. This might be like a, you know, not tune up fight, but a fight that will be harder for him to finish. Well, I mean, I also feel like JDS has something to prove. Um, he lost to Steve Bay for the title and his uh, layoff. It was not his fault. He proved that he had tainted supplements. It's just that USADA literally took a year to sort out his situation, which is unfortunate. But um, I, I feel like he's going to have a sense of urgency there. Um, respectfully, also, I mean, if you're training to fight JDS, I feel like there's fewer guys you'd want to talk to than a guy like Cain Velasquez, who really dominate him twice in a row has uh, that inside knowledge to beat a guy like Dos Santos, who's dangerous. So I think it could be very intriguing. Well, we have some fun fights ahead of us. I'll definitely tune into Bellator to also see Michael McDonald's return. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. Um, we have another double header Friday, Saturday, and then next week, I want to say we even uh, we have UFC Hamburg, I want to say, which is going to be Shogun Hua against Anthony Smith. And then also Glover Tashir versus Corey Anderson. Kayla, a big few weeks in the light heavyweight division, because a lot of these guys are going to want to say that if DC is not coming back, then give me my shot right now against whoever's left. So I'm looking forward to it. What about you? Yeah, I'm definitely looking forward to it. I think there's some nice matchups. Maybe we'll hear more about the Coliseum fight in the works, fight card in the works. Sounds awesome. <laughs> Kayla, happy birthday once again. Where can the fans find you on social media to wish you a happy birthday? Thank you, G. Fans can find me at fangirl underscore MMA. Where can they find you? Fans can find me all the time at Double G on TV. Just spell out the word double and we'll be back next week.